Hey everybody. Welcome to the hey, Vox. <laughs> Welcome to the Vox podcast. <laughs> Mike and Tim um coming at you from the epicenter of Christianity. Central Ohio, <laughs> Northern California. Yeah, oh yes. Oh yes. <laughs> and uh want to welcome you to the podcast and say thank you um for tuning in. We are always grateful to get to play a part in your day. Today we've got a returning guest, Dr. Amy Jill Levine. One of my and favorites. she's a bit of a spitfire. She is she's just delightful and opinionated and smart. And um, and we're looking at her new book. Uh, it's called um, The Bible with and Without Jesus. How Jews and Christians, I'm adding this, this is not the subtitle, but how Jews and Christians can read the same text differently. That's kind of where she's going. You for. did segue straight into it like it was the... I know, I did, I did, I did, I did, I did. That's, that's how good and professional this whole operation is. I love uh, that she is a, a brilliant scholar. She's Jewish and her... She's Jewish. Like, emphasis, her, like, her specialty is the New Testament. right. I yes, think it's so fascinating. It is absolutely fascinating, and today we get into all sorts of trouble. Um, we, <laughs> um, if at some point you're listening to this, you're like, "What in the world?" There, there, just stick with it. There's an outro that we do for about I don't know twenty thirty minutes, um, but but we our philosophy is we want to interview people that are interesting and have thoughtful things to say in different perspectives and, um, and, and then let them give their best stuff. So we weren't doing a lot of interrupting and I, and, and some of this is absolutely fascinating. So if there are a couple of things you're like, mm, I'm not sure I buy that. Great. Um, there are other things though, that, that she says that are really, really good and really, really helpful, but, um, there's lots to agree with and lots to disagree with, which is what good scholarship does. Um, yeah. and, and she's so engaging and great and um, love, love when scholars are willing to talk with us about this stuff. So anyway, please enjoy this. Um, and then we'll see you again after the interview for, uh, for some more thoughts. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Vox Podcast. Mike. And Tim are here today with a very special guest, Dr. Amy Jill Levine. Welcome. Thank you for coming back to our Shumble Show. Um, you teach at Vanderbilt, correct? I do. And what did you teach this? Uh, did, you, did you teach in person at all or was it all on Zoom this fall? I taught three classes on Zoom. They were all fabulous. My students are terrific. <laughs> I did a course on the parables of Jesus. I oh. did a course on the Gospel of Luke. And then I had five wonderfully stalwart students who read Greek with me on Thursday morning. And wow. what wow. made this semester particularly fun, besides the fact that these were just all splendid students who actually volunteered to take these courses because they're not required, ah. um, is that I was able to use some of my grant money that I normally use for travel to zoom in people whose articles my students were reading. Oh, how fun So they got that? to meet with a number of biblical scholars, some of whom with some of whom I, I firmly disagree with about everything 
other than the fact that we're really good friends. So it gives my students an opportunity to hear from uh, Catholic, liberal, Protestant, evangelical scholars, wow. uh, from very, very conservative scholars, as well as people who were even to the left of me, if that's possible. <laughs> and they get to hear biblical scholars argue about important things like, how do you understand this parable? Or do you think this event in Luke really happened? And the students participated in it. Wow. it so. Other than the fact that everybody was stuck at home, right? It was a fabulous semester. Hey, that's really that's cool. Amazing. Are these undergrads? No. Okay, so um, these are, they grad are students. master's candidates or PhD candidates. Wow. Okay, and um, I, I just have to. Uh, I mean, oh, wait. I had one undergraduate, but I did have one very brave undergraduate who got an A for the course, and he's going to law school. Good for nice. him. Nice. Oh. Nice. Um, that's a, actually, I'm in for all of those classes, so sign me up. Um, and, and I'm teaching what, Mark in the spring. You can come join if there's room. Oh, I would love that. I would love it. What what textbooks do you use for Luke? I'm just uh, curious. Well, so personally. I wrote a commentary on Luke. Of course you uh, did. Of right, course you I, did. With, with Ben Witherington III, where yes. readers get to see the, the liberal Jewish <laughs> feminist and the evangelical <laughs> Methodist get to argue with each other. Um, so I assigned that because I figured that way the students would know ahead of time exactly what I thought about texts. Nice. Mm. But what I do in these upper level courses, and all the students have some sort of background, yeah. um, is each week I assign a number of, of high-end articles uh, from various perspectives. So um, uh, African writers who write in light of um, indigenous African traditions and how they come in, into dialogue with Luke. Uh, classical wow. authors who are interested in Luke within a Roman imperial context. Hmm. Jewish authors uh, or authors who have expertise on Judaism who want to look at Luke within a Jewish context. Hmm. Feminist authors for some of the healing narratives, medical doctors and how they relate to the healing stories. Um, so my students get a sense of the different ways that people have approached these texts. Oh. And the assignment to them is write something to somebody who needs to hear what you have to say. Wow. Draft an article for a, a liberal journal or a denominational magazine or the Huffington Post. Mm. Um, right, one of my students wrote, wrote a short story based on the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. Mm. So wow. how, how wow. does the biblical text inspire us to move right. on? Um, in the same way that, you know, the parable of, of the prodigal son and the older brother becomes uh, the template for a number of, of pieces of great literature and art subsequently. Yes. Oh, my wow. goodness. All right. I'm in, Mark. Um, <laughs> that, that sounds so fascinating and so different from the seminary education I got in a very conservative uh, seminary where we read the same textbook for all four theology classes. So oh it was, oh, yes. But, you know, because theology is static, God forbid that it would change. Yes. Because if you change, then you're a heretic. And, and who needs that? <laughs> well, speaking, um, it, well, the, here's what's funny. I had no idea this was this connected, but the, the approach to your class sounds exactly like the approach you took in your latest book, um, which we're excited to talk with you about today. And, that was a really uh, amazing segue. No, I mean, she did it. It was like, this is what she's doing in her book. So it's the Bible with and without Jesus. And you co-author this with Dr. Mark um, Brettler. Uh, Brettler. That's right. And um, it's fascinating. He, from more of an Old Testament perspective, you from more of a New Testament perspective. Uh, if I may summarize it briefly before we get into it, I, it, it, it seems you're taking very um, 
fascinating texts and looking at them through the classic sort of Protestant evangelical lens, uh, maybe what the what the Jewish audience of the time would have understood these as, and then and then that post biblical uh, Judaism, uh, how how the text sort of an understanding of the text evolved over the course of centuries, and it's utterly fascinating to see those various perspectives. Uh, and I love, I mean, that, that sounds even congruent with what you're doing in class. So my question is, um, why why this book? I, I think I know why, but I'd love to hear you talk about it and why this approach to this sort of topic. Right. Um, it, well, a couple of reasons, because again, single answers are just kind of dull. Um, <laughs> Mark and I co-edited something called the Jewish Annotated New Testament, which you yes, know about. I do. You do. Well, I know you do. So that that was that was not a which you know about, but which you oh, know about. I, yes, um, it's very uh, good. It's very right. and, good. And we realized at at the end of doing two editions of this that there was much more that we needed to say. Yeah. Uh, that you cannot do in an annotated Bible because the annotations are short, and we had chapters length worth of material to say. <laughs> and we also know from teaching. Um, I'm in primarily in a divinity school at Vanderbilt. But I also teach for the Department of Jewish Studies in the college. Ah. And Mark is in the Department of Religion at Duke University. And we re we realized very, very quickly that a number of our Christian students had no idea that Jews have their own readings of texts that are important to them, mm -hmm. whether it's Isaiah's suffering servant or the book of Jonah or yeah. the creation narrative where yeah. Christians have a fall and Jews have not so much a fall, but like an original opportunity. Yeah. Um, it, questions about how, how you get out of sin and where does sin come from. So we thought, let's take the major, I'm going to use Christian terms here. So we're going to take the sure. major texts from the Old Testament that get used in the New Testament. Yep. Like the, behold, a virgin will conceive from Matthew. Yep. Or um, Son he, of man. he was wounded for our transgressions, um, which shows up a bunch of different times. Yeah. Um, or the book of Jonah and Jesus, you know, I won't give you any sign except for the sign of Jonah. Right. right. Then you have to figure right. out what that is. Right. Um, so to and and to approach these texts in four different ways one how does the new testament use them and sometimes mm -hmm. they use them differently so matthew mm -hmm. on that that suffering servant uses it in terms of jesus as healer right. rather than right. jesus as redeemer from sin um to look at it how as it functioned in its own historical context because yeah. it had to mean something to the people back then like if Isaiah says, I'm going to give you a sign, but the sign's not going to come true for another 700 years, people don't care. Right. Right. Yep. 700, 700 years from now, COVID will, will no longer be a problem. I want that <laughs> more quickly than 700 years from now. Yeah. Yep. Um, so what did it mean in its original context? How is it used in the New Testament? How else is it used in Jewish sources? Was, mm -hmm. Does it get cited by the Dead Sea Scrolls? Right. Um, how does it get used in Jewish rabbinic literature, post-biblical Jewish literature? How is it used in the Middle Ages, particularly in terms of when Jews know what Christians are doing with this stuff? How are they responding? And each chapter ends with a short section saying, can we move from some of the polemic right. that we see in terms of Christians saying, oh, no, your Jewish readings are wrong, or Jews saying, no, your Christian readings are wrong? Can we get past that? And say, what happens if we all acknowledge that these texts have multiple meanings because they must? Otherwise, you can just check them off and put them on a shelf and say, been there, done that. Mm -hmm. What might those texts mean today? So who are the suffering servants today whose suffering is so extreme you want to turn away, mm -hmm. but you can't? Mm -hmm. And when you watch, suddenly you 
feel yourself indicted. You realize the system is indicting you. You realize you're doing something wrong. Mm-hmm. And we can name a number of those people today. Yeah. Yeah. No kidding. So, so the fascinating bit is you're not advocating and, and this is super, super cool. Um, you're giving permission for each tradition to be its own tradition. You're, you're, you're not looking in your words, uh, for a lowest common denominator. Oh no, I hate lowest blending, common denominator. But, but that's so, but that's so different than what I see done when we get into these sorts of conversations where it's, well, we can at least agree on this and it's a small, thin version of of theology. And yeah, you're giving great permission. Well, I mean, you don't sacrifice the particulars of your own tradition on the altar of interfaith sensitivity. Right, right? but that's Um, what, what, but, but we've all been taught that's what you do. Well, I mean, liberals have been taught that and conservatives have been taught the zero-sum game. If I'm right, you must be wrong. Right. Um, and neither approach is particularly helpful. And, and both approaches tend to lack in, in a sense of civility or respect. Because mm-hmm. one mm-hmm. requires you give up too much um, and right. one requires um, not listening to the other and not recognizing the multiple interpretations that the Bible can have. Right. Because if it's only got one interpretation, then pastors are out of a job because it's going to be the same sermon every week. Right. Right. <laughs> or, you know, or each time this reading comes around on the lectionary or whatever. Right. Right. Um, uh, so what we're doing is we're saying both readings are right because um, Jews are looking at the text through Jewish lenses. So they will expect to see certain Jewish things. Um, and Christians are looking at the same text through Christian lenses and they're going to see other things. So we're operating on a. It, what you see is always contingent on the on the glasses that you wear. Right. You're going to find and, what you're looking that, for. That's right. And our problem is we, we forget that we're wearing glasses. Right. 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 Um, so it's it, it it turns out to be perfectly normal to us when it shouldn't be normal. It, 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 you know, the one reading is correct. And you put on somebody else's glasses, it looks distorted. Right. Different prescriptions. So if the Christian wants to see Jesus on every single page of the Old Testament, that's perfectly fine. If you presume he's there, he's there. And if the Jew puts on Jewish lenses and doesn't see him at all, but, for example, sees in Isaiah's suffering servant uh, the Jewish community mm-hmm. who suffered when taken into exile and subsequently, um, but other people looked at this nation that somehow despite all the tragedies managed to preserve and saw the hand of god there well okay that's another way of understanding the suffering servant yeah yeah right for sure multiple understandings because the bible's open to multiple interpretations oh this is so good how do your christian students um when they're when they i'm I'm, because i'm assuming this is a common theme when they realize there are other readings of these things, how do they respond normally? They're surprised. Um, some of them are delighted. I do advise them that they can double dip because most of rabbinic <laughs> interpretations are perfectly usable by Christians, right? So if you're looking for a sermon and you want to preach on on the Old Testament, go see what the rabbi said because they had some really, really good readings. Yeah. Um, you know, and people in your congregation will probably be unfamiliar with them. And you can say, gee, you know, yeah. here, here's what, our, here's what our, our Jewish friends came up with. And, you know, let's think about that. It's another way of understanding the text. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and, and, the, and the great gift that you and others have given is the Jewish perspective on the New Testament, on the life of Jesus, the parables, and so on. That's, that's normally, again, in seminary would never have been taught, hey, go consult Jewish sources on these things. 
because um, oh, God forbid you'd get out of your little echo chamber. Right, 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 right. right. <laughs> and, and then we call that education. That's that's not education. That's indoctrination. Right. So so when you're bringing in uh, folks to argue with, um, first of all, I that that's the kind of that's that's a rare thing in theology these days in my experience i mean we'll 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 articulate online or over social media or you know back and forth on the tweets but to literally hear two scholars talking through issues is fascinating and so i love what you and your co-author have done because this book is kind of an example of that working itself out let's get i want to give an example though because there's so much juicy stuff to talk about let's talk you've already hinted at it but let's talk original sin baby um that was that's the first part of the romans road amy amy jill and you need aj i know um that is first part of the romans road and um and i would love for our audience to hear a bit about how how jewish folks have understood genesis 3 if not using the category of the fall right well we we don't have a fall um, because a fall suggests that there's some sort of irreparable breach between humanity and divinity um, that required a, a cosmic fix. Mm-hmm. Um, and the cosmic fix is the Christ. And you start getting hints of that in Romans. You know, in, in, in one man comes sin and death, and through the mm-hmm. other one comes, comes grace and life. Um, and it really gets picked up by Ambrose and then Augustine. Um, so yes. that it's it's like it's really bad. Yeah. Um, and, and that would make sense because Adam and Eve get picked up in the New Testament. In fact, in in First Timothy, yeah. um, it's you know, at, it's it's the man was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor, as if to say, well, as soon as Eve ate that piece of fruit, Adam went, ah, oh, sweetie. You know, right. Bad move. Right. Um, and then out of a sense of personal solidarity with her, he knew what he was doing and so he took a bite. Yeah such a decent guy yeah um, yeah out of out of mercy out of mercy out of love out of compassion out of solidarity in right. yiddish what a mensch what yeah. a decent guy <laughs> um but um so so you've got adam and eve popping back up in the new testament but when you get to the end of, of the adam and eve story i think the last time adam shows up is at genesis chapter five mm-hmm. they disappear so they're not that big a deal when you start looking at all that later Jewish literature, which means all that that whole Christian Old Testament. Right. Um, so it, the Jewish community doesn't have a single explanation of anything because hmm. there's no head Jew to tell us what to believe. And if there were, we wouldn't listen anyway. We're very independent people. What, right. To what's Israel your quote? Means to wrestle with God. Right? Yes. Two Jews, three opinions is, is, Pretty what, much. Uh, is uh, what I've and, heard and, you quote. And if we're, if we're, right. And if we've had enough coffee, four. <laughs> So, um, it, so we don't we don't have a sense of fault. I mean, we do recognize that that people sin, people because we're not God, right? Right. Um, and and in fact, we don't want to be God. That's that's God's job. Right. Um, we just want to be the best people we can be, and the Torah is there to keep us from from going astray. So those mm-hmm. those laws are basically a maintenance system. Um, and if something does happen, there are mechanisms to get you back on the right path. Like if you sin against someone, you say to that person, I'm sorry, and if possible, you make restitution. Mm-hmm. And if you sin against God, you say, I'm sorry, and, and you, you try to do your best not to do that again and, and to live a better life of justice and compassion. Right. Um, so we don't have a sense of original sin. In fact, we have a fairly positive anthropology. Hmm. Like everything in the creation was good, and it stayed good. Okay, so some stuff got messed up, mm-hmm. right? We're not perfect. 
but oh my gosh, we're in the image and likeness of God. You know, mm-hmm. we're a little bit lower than the angels. That's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we have free will. So we can choose which path to take. So we can choose to do the right thing. Um, and we have God's help in doing that. And when we get off the path, God is always there saying, come back, mm-hmm. return. So much so that the Jewish term for repentance is tshuva. And it comes from the root mm-hmm. shuv, which means to return, mm-hmm. to get mm-hmm. back on that road again. Right. Um, we're also, we're also a community. So it, it's, it's very hard to be a Jew on your own. Um, it's actually very hard to be a Christian on your own. Jesus talks about when two or three are gathered. So, yeah. you know, if you're just off there saying, look at me, look at me, there's a problem. Yeah. Um, so the community holds the other members of the community responsible. Right. Um, if one person sins, that, that's that's on everybody. But if one person does something good, that's on everybody too. Hmm. So we can delight in that and celebrate it. I can hear uh, in the back of my mind um the the question okay if there wasn't a breach between humans and god then why why sacrifice why atonement why temple um why why that whole apparatus if there wasn't a breach and i know you cover that in the book so yeah we have a whole chapter here's the here's the softball here's the softball you know to that chapter sure um, well, so in the ancient world, whether you're in ancient Mesopotamia or Greece or Rome, everybody did sacrifice because that yeah. was the way, one way you had of being in connection with the rest of your community and your God. Um, most of the sacrifices that we know about, if you, if you read through Leviticus, which most Christians don't, are not sin offerings anyway. So it's Thanksgiving offerings. Yeah, burn offerings, grain offerings. Um, or annual offerings or harvest offerings or tithings, which basically pay the preschools because Levites can't own land. Um, and a lot of that's then redistributed to the poor. Yeah. Think about collection plates. You know, is a collection plate a sacrifice? Right. Well, right. if it is, then then why celebrate a Eucharist? Um, so everybody's doing it. But they also, re- and so it was also, by the way, an opportunity for people to eat meat, mm. which, because mo- meat's high end, meat's really expensive. So, right. you know, if right. you do sacrifice three times a year at the pilgrimage festival, you know, three times a year, you get a nice piece of beef. That's not a bad thing or a goat or a lamb or whatever, because otherwise you're eating, you know, fish um, and, and a lot of vegetables and grains. Um, Horrible. So it's something that everybody does. Is it is it essential? No. How do you know that? Um, because Jews knew what it was like to be without a temple when the first one got burned down mm-hmm. uh, by the Babylonians in the sixth century. It's like, oh, we don't have a temple. Okay. You know, has God gone away? No, God actually goes with us into exile which is how second Isaiah can write second Isaiah and how the book of Daniel got written and how the book of Esther got written, you know, cause God's out there in Babylon and in Persia and, and wherever. Mm-hmm. So why Ezekiel could write. Um, and then when they came back to the land, they rebuilt the temple and they lost it again in 70 when the Romans burned it down. But even before that, the Jewish tradition was making comments like um, to put, uh, to put money in the hands of the poor is like laying a gift on the altar. And that actually continues to this day, mm-hmm. right? You want to, somebody gets sick, you make a donation so that other people can benefit. And there's an occasion to come together as a community. So the offerings so, weren't, weren't um, atonement, reuniting what was previously separated. Um, some of it is atonement because if, if you have a breach, you got to fix it, right? Right. So if I sin against you, there's a breach between me and you, and then you have to do this, this atonement something or rather like right. the at one meant, right? Yeah. 
but yeah, but, but like, and, and forgive me for mispronouncing, I'm, I'm a dangerously illiterate, but f- for Yom Kippur. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah. Um, is it Kippur? <laughs> Yom Kippur. Oh, that's so cooler. See, I want to come. So Yom is day, Yom is sea. Is C? C, S-E-A, okay. like ocean. But yeah, we don't want that one. So you want Yom. Yom. Uh, day. Um, and was that the so so again uh, what I'm what I'm trying to to fit and you have this whole riff on Hebrews where um, because the the author of Hebrews seems to make the argument listen there the offerings of the temple were atoning in a very real you know the the ones that were intended to be were atoning in a very real sense. And, um, and, uh, and so Jesus comes as the ultimate one of those. Right. 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 Um, and, and I've always, I've always understood the day of atonement though, wasn't about atoning between us and God, but it was cleansing of the temple and the high priest. Is that, that's part of it. Is that part of it? That's part of it. So I'm trying, I'm trying to, to put the, there isn't a breach together with, but there are these mechanisms between God and humanity. Is the breach just simply because we continue? So it's not the fall past tense, but it's the falling present tense. We continue to mess up. And because of that, there's a mechanism to put us back on That's the straight correct. and narrow. Right. Is that, is that how Yom you say Kippur, it? Right. Think of Young Kipper as like an annual reboot. Okay. So it's the reset of the operating system. Yeah. Um, it's a catch-all. Um, it's it's like running your malware through. Yeah, 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 okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it fixes it, but um, because there's no irreparable breach, it, this can always be. There can always be a type of reconciliation, but you have to make the effort. Right. 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 And then you. And then all religions have some sort of ritual to cleanse what became um, polluted, mm-hmm. to fix what became broken or whatever language you want to use. Yeah, yeah. So, um, are, Tim, do you have any thoughts right now, just before I, I keep us going? No, keep going. <laughs> I want to say one thing, because you brought up Hebrews. <clears throat> yeah. Um, which So Hebrews says, not only that Jesus is the perfect sacrifice, he's also the ultimate high priest, and he's mm-hmm. currently serving at the heavenly altar. Right. Um, but Hebrews goes on to say, um, you can't have this type of atonement without blood. Mm-hmm. Right? Except the Jewish tradition doesn't say that. Hmm. So Hebrews is speaking from within a particular Jesus-following worldview. But just because Hebrews says that, it, the epistle to the Hebrews wasn't written to Jews as far as I know. And even if it were, because the title comes in later and we don't know who wrote it. Mm-hmm. Um but even if it were, the dominant Jewish community never thought that was the case. And a really good example of that um, are the people who, who are out at the Dead Sea because they don't have a temple. Mm-hmm. And they're not doing animal sacrifice, and they think they're in a perfectly good relationship with God. And on the other hand, Jesus' own followers, after he died, continued to participate in temple worship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we know that from the book of Acts. And we also right. know it from Paul so in Romans, um, the very same text that talks about Adam messing up, um, when Paul talks about, you know, what's what's the benefit of the Jews? You know, what's the big deal with them? I mean, one of the things that he lists, um, it's usually translated in English as service hmm. or worship. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But that would mean, in that context, that actually means temple worship. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. the temple sacrificial cult, and that's one of the gifts of the Jews. Hmm. But but that... But what's happening there... Go Mm -hmm. go ahead. No, please. I'm sorry. If Jesus' followers think that the sacrificial system is still valuable to participate in, then they did not see, at least initially, his death on the cross as replacing. Hmm. Perhaps complementing, but not replacing. After the temple gets burned down, people regroup, and then they understand things that they had in the past differently. Um, I've heard in, in the Hebrews context, the life is in the blood from uh, Leviticus quoted often is the, 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 the reason for necessity of blood. And I know you deal with that in the book if you want to speak to it briefly. Yeah, we have a whole thing on blood manipulation because my, my co-author Mark was really interested in blood manipulation <laughs> and what blood does. Um, and you can even see it if you go back to Genesis um, where um, after Cain kills Abel, it says that Abel's blood, it's plural. Yeah. You know, are crying out as if to say Abel and and his generations that that aren't to come because he's dead now. Mm. Um, wow. So I mean, so you do have a sense of of life being in the blood, which is why among practicing Jews, blood is forbidden in terms of dietary regulations. You mm-hmm. crack an egg and it's got a little bit of blood in it. You toss it. Mm. You can't eat it. Mm. And then. Um, you get a sense of that in the book of Acts where you're not supposed to, even the Gentiles are not supposed to consume blood products. Right? Mm. Um, and then what happens? So Christians, yeah, they blood pudding, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. So how would you advise? So let's say, let's say we have a, a reasonably uh, intelligent adult approaching the new Testament for the first time. Right. Let's say they've come through a church environment. What advice would you give them about approaching the Bible? Where, where, where do you start with all of this? What would you say in an environment like that? Well, if the person came up in a church environment and never read the Bible, clearly something went wrong. <laughs> right. <laughs> Well, maybe um, maybe they came through the church. In other words, they didn't. They came to a church service. They went, oh, okay, yes, I want to say yes to this thing. Now I don't know what to do. Here's here's a Bible. What do I do with this? I'd right. love to hear. Um, it, yeah, yeah. Sure. Just, as as with any text uh, from a discipline that's unfamiliar, book on economics or a book on um, you know uh, Japanese history, it was whatever read it, write down your list of questions, and then find a couple of people who have expertise in this and go read some more. Mm-hmm. And make sure that the people with whom you consult aren't all from exactly the same university or from the same seminary or from the same ideological position. Yeah. So you can get a couple of diverse perspectives on what's going on and then then use your own good sense. Yeah. Uh, recognize that you're just a beginner and you have stuff to learn. If you're reading the Bible and you've never read it before, at least read a Bible that gives you alternative translations hmm. because you're reading, if you start in Genesis, you're reading in Hebrew. If you start in Matthew, you're reading in Greek and all translators are traitors. Hmm. Yeah. What do you mean by that? I, I mean, I've heard you say it and I get it, but sure. I would love for you to explain that. Yes. I'm now, since uh, when I walk my dog, I listen to my, my Italian tape so I can keep up on my Italian. <laughs> I won't forget it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, mi piace tutta la cucina italiana. Right? Sure. Um, so, um, 
translation is an art. Um, it, it's not a science. And anybody who's ever used a, a Google translator where you plug something in, you can get a sense of what's going on, but it looks really weird. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, certain words, I mean, how do you translate them and what are the, what are the images that, that come forward? Um, the term ecclesia, which is usually translated church, um, it, it's the translation in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It's ecclesia is used for the yachad, for the Jewish community. Hmm. So when we hear ecclesia, we think church, and then we start thinking steeple and nave and apse and a big cross up in the front and you know <laughs> narthex. A mortgage, Don't forget right? narthex. Narthex, right? <laughs> Such a good word for crossword puzzle. Um, <laughs> Uh, so and uh, you were nave like nave like K N A V E, and we throw all this other stuff on that word that, that the Greek term does doesn't hold originally. Mm. So we're always being screwed up. We hear the word Christ, and somehow we think Trinity when it simply means anointed person, you know, mm-hmm. God's anointed person, mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean divine, and it doesn't mean glow in the dark, and it doesn't mean uh, virginal conception. It just means somebody commissioned by God to go do something. Mm. So, or we hear priest, and we think about people with collars, right? Right. Um, or we think about a vocation, when in Judaism, uh, to be a, in the priestly line, you're a priest if your dad's a priest, and there's, it's, it's, really, it's just carried on the paternal line is nothing you can do about it. Yeah. So it's not a choice. We we have to pay attention to all of those terms. Yeah. Yeah. What if, if somebody's hearing this and going, well, how, how can you possibly ever make sense of this thing? If there are that many readings and that many different understandings, how can, how could I ever hope to come to my own sense of, of what the text means to me? Uh, what would you say to them? How do you, how do you, so, so yes, we, I've got my list of questions, but then I've got all sorts of disagreement over some of these big issues. How do I, how do I arbitrate between all of that? Okay. Well, you start by asking, so you pick up the text, you've got to start reading it to begin with. Yes. Okay. Yep. And you got to read it slowly because the Bible's really not meant to be sped read. Um, <laughs> and the best way to do it is to read it out loud. Yeah. Preach. Because that necessarily slows you down. Preach it, AJ. Come on. Um, th- there's actually an old Jewish tradition. It comes from the story of Hannah in First mm-hmm. Samuel when Hannah is praying and her lips are moving and the priest thinks she's drunk because she's praying and her lips are moving, but, but he can't hear anything. And from that comes the tradition of when you pray in Judaism, you make sure your lips move and that way you won't speed read through. Mm-hmm. Right? You have to concentrate mm-hmm. on the words. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and you say to yourself, what does this text mean to me? And you don't stop there what has this text meant to people in my community? And if you don't have a community, go pick one. There are plenty of churches around. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of Bible studies online, some some of which are much better than others. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you start asking, what has it meant in the past? How are people reading this? How are people reading those slaves be obedient to your masters 50 years ago? Mm A hundred and fifty years ago. How are they reading them now? And how are they understanding them perhaps in the first century Mm. or in the fifth? Um, so you look over time, you, when you look at a particular text and you're reading it out loud, it will stay with you. Mm-hmm. Same thing if you play music, you just can't look at it on the page. Actually, you have to get the instrument and do something with it. Um, if you see the same word again, now how do you see that first text differently? Mm-hmm. In the Gospel of Matthew, when you have this list of, of people in the genealogy and suddenly get these women who are mentioned, 
well, go and look up their stories. Yeah. And, and what does that add? And when you find out that Tamar and Rahab, the first two women mentioned, are Canaanites, and then Matthew meets a Canaanite woman in chapter 15, what does that tell you about how that conversation is going to go? Hmm. When Matthew tells you at the beginning of the gospel um, that uh, Joseph gets this dream from an angel and, and he's told to call the child Emmanuel, right, um, which means God with us, or the child will be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And you get to the end of the Gospel of Matthew, where the very last line, the resurrected Jesus says to his disciples, behold, I am with you, with you until the end of the age. And suddenly you get this nice bracket mm -hmm. and go back and read it again. Mm -hmm. So if you really want to understand a text, you can't read it just once. Mm. You have to read it over and over. You have to hear it read by others. Mm. You have to discuss it by others. You have to come back to it. And ideally, you will wrestle with it because that's what it means to be Israel. And the church got grandfathered in. Thank you, Romans 11. <laughs> um, so, so you wrestle with the text. Right? Jesus says something and you're going, I don't think so. But AJ, this sounds like a lot of work. I just want my one minute devotional. Thank you. Um, if you think you can, you can do religion in a minute. <laughs> Um, I think you're selling religion short, and I also think you're selling your own ability mm. short. Mm. There, there's a bravery here. Um, so this is my book on, on uh, the Sermon on the Mount, but also my book on Lent. Um, th there's a risk-taking that's necessary, mm. because when you read this stuff, you might find something you don't like. I mean, every once in a while, Jesus says something that I'm not a great fan of, and I want to say, excuse me, like you can't get divorced. What? Mm. Right? Um, or, oh, sell all you have and give to the poor. And granted, he didn't say that to everybody, but it's like, yeah, you know, I, I'm holding on to my bank account for my kids. Thank you very much. Yeah. Right? Or take up your cross. Yeah. That's really hard. Be willing to risk your life for this. And that's personally indicting, you know, for what would I risk my life? That's a really good question, by the mm. way. What's so important to me that is more important than my life? And they take that really seriously. Yeah. Um, so you wrestle with the text. Yeah. And sometimes you might say, slaves be obedient to your masters, which shows up a bunch of times in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. No, I'm not going there. Mm -hmm. Where that was then and this is now. Um, or when Jesus says, if your eye offends you, pluck it out. You have to make a determination. Is he being hyperbolic? Mm -hmm. Is he scaring you, right? If you're lusting, pluck your eye out. Well, that can cut back on lust right there. I mean, that's quicker than a, thinking about that is better than a cold shower. Like, boom, that's not gonna happen. Yep. Or does he really mean it? So you're always interpreting, you're always wrestling. If you do it as Jews do with a, with a study buddy or with a partner, yeah. that's helpful. Yeah. Um, if you listen to podcasts like yours, where you can see people like you wrestling with the text. That lets people know that they're okay. There's an old line. I don't know who said it, but it's a really good line um, that the opposite of doubt is not faith. The opposite of like faith, the opposite of faith is not doubt. The opposite of faith is certainty. Mm. Mm. Right? We don't know everything. Paul even says that through a glass darkly, through a mirror dimly. Yeah. Again, translation issue. Right. <laughs> um, but it, so there's an old Jewish saying, because there's an old Jewish saying for everything. I love it. Um, <laughs> which is, this comes from Perkei Avot. Um, it, it is not your duty to complete the task, but neither are you free to desist from it. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. You're not going to understand everything in this text. Mm-hmm. And that's not your responsibility. But it is your job to do your best with the time that you have and with the talents that you've been given. Mm-hmm. Go do something. It's something I find so refreshing about Jewish spirituality that I did not initially find in um, Christianity, which was the emphasis on the here and now, on the presentness of salvation. So much of my early, I don't know, hearing of all of this was about heaven and hell and um, how my choice to believe certain things about Jesus or not affected that outcome. Right. Well, Jews generally don't worry about heaven and hell. Um, right. we, we've seen enough hell on earth that, you know. yeah. Um, yeah. and you can trace this out in the early church. The more the church in the second century, third century, and so on talked about heaven and hell, think Dante, mm. um, the more rabbinic Judaism said, basically, let them worry about that. We're going to worry about sanctification on a daily basis. We've got enough to worry about from when we wake up in the morning to when we go to sleep, let God worry about heaven and hell. And we believe in a merciful God. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's not that that fear of uh, yeah. you know you know oh I I said something against the Holy Spirit well there goes my immortal soul right um, yeah that's that's not something that particularly bothers me yeah yeah <laughs> oh AJ you are a delightful person it is fun to hear you riff is our word for <laughs> it when you just uh, the Tim texted me last night he's like. Because we were listening to another podcast interview with you, and and we the consensus was whenever anyone else was talking, it wasn't as good. So, um, <laughs> so I want to just personally thank you. I have benefited um, from your book on parables from the the study Bible. Uh, this book was super fascinating, and I love uh, I love what you're trying to do, which is to receive the best of the traditions, allow them to interact but to build respect and empathy uh, between them. Right. Well, right. I, With, again, without sacrificing who you are, because it's not its not a book that's arguing for a lowest common denominator. That's right. And that's right. the, see, to me, that's, that's the unique bit, that part right there. Because so much of what I've heard when it comes to religious uh, dialogue is, let's just agree uh, on the barest minimums and work from there. And you're saying, no, it's actually possible to hold the fully robust version of your thing and engage with another's fully robust version of their thing and benefit from that. And so. Right. Um, and, and then we learn from each other. Right. And, and we can celebrate the differences as well as the similarities. And, you know, God created us all in the image and likeness of God, but we're all not the same. We got dispersed. Remember Tower of Babel? Mm-hmm. Well, take advantage of that. We're different. Let's celebrate those differences. And let's celebrate a biblical text that opens up to multiple interpretations. Any English major would tell you texts have multiple interpretations. <laughs> well, you know, this is a text. <laughs> go go enter it. I love that. Go enter it. Well, I tell you what, thank you for your time. I am going to follow up on Mark. So be, be ready. Um, I'm moving actually to Nashville in six months and and you know the stated reason is i have a job there but the can you tell us what it is yes it's a teaching pastor at a church where um in um franklin yes 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 very nice yeah evidently 
And um, and uh, but the the unstated reason and that my my friend Bonnie and I have both said is AJ's there, and so that's why that's why Nashville. <laughs> oh, we get to play. You can Nashville. invite me to your church. Oh, that would be delightful. Only What's if you fun? only only if you would come and we could talk together. Oh, yeah. That would be really really cool. Uh, but I tell you what, you are just a remarkable young lady, and we're very grateful to know you. And thank you for your time. I know things are crazy uh, these days, but we're really excited. the 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 book was very interesting, and there's nothing like it out there. I have not seen anything like this um, in terms of what you're trying to accomplish. So well done. Thank you. Thank you. Raw. Yes. I'll see you when you get to Nashville, if not before. All right. Thank you so much. Bye bye. Always a pleasure. Holy moly, Tim Stafford. Holy moly, Mikey. (laughs) (laughs) She, I, I mean... I don't know. She is just one of the most delightful people. Um, thoughtful. She's fully herself. She's fun. I see why she's just uh, adored both in academic circles and otherwise. Um, she's one of my favorite guests we've ever had. Yeah, she really, she really is. And, and I wanted to uh, take a moment about why. So, so as you can imagine. Um, that interview was, that was so good. And there was so much stuff in there that, that I, that I think Christians would go, Hey, hold on a second. Hmm. What about, I'm not sure. And and I want to, I want to, I want to just talk briefly about, and there's stuff I would disagree. As I was reading the book, I was like, I don't, man, I don't, I don't think I buy that now. Um, uh, but but her project is one I have deep respect for, and so Absolutely. so so my faith became much more um, real and alive when I discovered the very simple thing that Jesus was Jewish and didn't read the New Testament. Um, <laughs> that was the dumbest and most obvious thing that totally changed the way I engage with Jesus. And the, the, the re Judaizing of Jesus, if we could say it that way, um, has been for me the most important facet of my own learning and my own walking with God. And, um, and so what I love, so I discovered, um, Dr. Levine because she would work with one of my other favorite scholars, Ben um, Worthington. Uh, Witherington, not Worthington, Witherington, Ben Witherington III. And he was this conservative white Methodist. She obviously self-described Jewish liberal feminist. And they would write together. And I just thought that's so cool. And they would both think each other is dead wrong about very important issues, but they engaged graciously and they learned from each other. And to me, that became one of the most important spiritual disciplines for my own betterment, curiosity. Yeah. And so I own so much of my library are Jewish books written by non-Messianic Jews about 
uh, atonement and about sin and about Genesis and about the Torah and about um, discipleship and rabbinic literature. And I have benefited so much from that um, that I, I, I want to hold Dr. Levine out as, a, as an example of someone that we ought to be as a Christian community in conversation with. She is willing, she understands She understands the New Testament texts. Some will say, yeah, but if she doesn't have Jesus, she doesn't understand them. Um, and uh, I can understand why people say that. I don't think that that's necessarily true. Um, I think that I think that that we can engage with all kinds of scholarship, not as people who are defensive and threatened, but as people who are secure. I I am utterly and forever convinced that Jesus is beautiful. He is Lord. Um, that He is who He said He is, and that people like Dr. Levine add such color texture. Um, they they de she desanitizes some of the Christian, because there, there have been, one of the things I've seen is the Christian polish of the text. It's like, we have to, we have to protect Christians from the text. If they only knew how messy some of this was, they'd never buy it. And I think that is the most destructive, harmful posture that Christians have taken about the Bible. Yep. It's okay that there are some people out there who think the message of Hebrews is wrong. Just as she said, and then the point of offering, and she's raising good points. Now, I think there are answers, and so do other scholars, but uh, not that I'm a scholar, but I I have read other scholars and seen that there are answers to these things. (laughs) Um, but, But she's raising really good points. And the point, the exercise isn't to be frustrated with, um, well, how can you ever know? Not every, she even says this, not every reading of the text is as faithful as other readings. Okay, there's some really poor readings of of texts out there. So I do think you can know some things, utterly and absolutely. But I just also think, to her point, you can benefit from hearing perspectives on those texts that don't lead to Jesus. Right. And um, now for me... When I get a a extra perspective, like when she was just riffing there about, well, Matthew begins and ends this way, and here's a Canaanite, and see, to me, that just, uh, that makes Jesus all the more compelling and beautiful, but I would never have known that Mm -hmm. from my traditional, my traditional seminary textbooks, right? We never got into that stuff. And that's the deficiency people like her are trying to remedy. It's not, at least that I'm aware of, she's trying to shipwreck shipwreck the faith of people these young naive these naive christians that walk into her room but i love i love (laughs) i love i love how i mean to to live into a text is exactly how she describes and the reason the bible is foreign to us is that we're just not willing to do that it's just not worth it just give me my devotional motivational moment or tell me what to do in this situation so God's pleased with me. And that is not what the Bible does in either of those senses, right? It is walked with and wrestled with and 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 it's an act of worship and devotion. And it's not, I get that it's not everyone's gift, but the the sanitized, the stripped down, milk toast, self-improvement, therapeutic. Christianity that that is leading in a lot of places is just not thick enough to handle real life. 
And, um, and so what I think people like AJ do is they help, they raise questions and issues that we do not have to be afraid of, that we can wrestle with, um, that we can consider and think about. They drive us, see, to me, the gift of AJ, she drives me to the text. She mm. drives me to that. Ooh, I'd never thought about that. That's really, that's really interesting. She's a section on the virgin birth. And, um, and she gives the, uh, a very classic Jewish reading of the virgin birth passages. And, and people, if they've never heard that, you're like, oh, oh, the word can mean other things. Oh, there's some debate about this, <laughs> right? And so, so the goal of all of that isn't to, to, to shipwreck. The goal of, well, we, we do want to shipwreck immature, shallow, um, cliched faith, because that's not going to carry you through life. That's going to get shipwrecked no matter what. Um, what we what we do want to do is we want to engage with scholars, pastors, writers, authors, wisdom teachers, and um, and have that drive us again and again back to okay, what it is, what's the what's the core thing, and what's happened in me, and I'm not, I don't know if this is true for everybody, but as I've I've been exposed to more and more of this, I don't have like I'm gonna die for you know up. Um, certain topics i don't have that posture anymore over a lot of topics right. right i used to have incredibly strong opinions about adam and eve and noah and the ark and jonah and the whale and da, 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 da. and i don't anymore but the things i do have strong opinions about they just get stronger you know the, but they get fewer as i go on and actually right. that's a pretty healthy thing so all that is to say, I you know, there's a lot we could engage in about the specifics of things that she was saying. Um, and and in some cases, I think she's she's absolutely, at least in my understanding, absolutely right. And in some cases, I would have loads more questions um, to try to understand what it is that she was saying. The, some of the sacrificial stuff, even when I read it, I wasn't quite clear. Um, like the, there isn't a breach. But but there's there's room if there is one. There's a mechanism if there is one. Okay, that's interesting. Like yeah. okay, that's great. And I, I know I'm ranting, but I, I just think it's so. <laughs> I know you've had to sit through two different rants. Hers is by far is, the more. This fascinating. is just Mike when he's excited. Oh well, that's true. I'm rocking in my chair and I'm going crazy. <laughs> yeah. But but it, it's I, I I guess you can read this and hear this. And go, oh my goodness, none of this is true. Hmm. And that that is the exact opposite of of what the heart is behind it. What right. the heart is, hey, um this 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 faith that we're that many of us are saying is a real thing to us. Um it becomes real and alive when you start wrestling with it. You know, to sanitize it just keeps it at a distance. And there are all these there there are all these big important questions that sit out there and you're like, I don't know. I don't know about this and I don't know about this. I'm I'm ever more convinced that Jesus is the center of the thing and important and that the Bible is absolutely critical to our formation. I couldn't be more convinced of that. Mm. 
But I'm also convinced that the way we've been taught to approach the Bible doesn't help in that formation. It actually Absolutely. causes us to, 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 to not be more Christ-like. <laughs> it, yeah, works, totally. it, it works against the formation it's supposed to provide. Yeah. So, so for for me, and and then I just want to reiterate, our interview policy isn't to disagree. I I tried to respond as some people would respond, but we want their yeah. best stuff. She gave us her best stuff. It was awesome. Yeah. Um. Uh. And I want to know. I mean, when we were in Israel, I was so thrilled we did not have a Christian guide. Yeah. Totally. It, it was great. It was great because I would I would be suspicious that they would clean things up, right? Yeah. And um and and I have that same suspicion now around some of the other aspects of Christian education and formation where I'm like, ah, it can be it's messier than we think. It's yeah. messier, it's more brutal, it's more honest, it's more raw, and that's why I love it. Yeah. That makes me love it more not fear it more. Yeah. Well, I, there's, it's so much more diverse. Like I, I think that one of the worst facets of growing up in American Christianity is the, just the uh, locked down version of uh, who God is through that one small particular lens. And so, or even more so it's, primarily a white male American Christian version of it, right? Because a majority of the pastors in the, at least in the circles that I grew up in, we were all just white men. And so God is a white man and Jesus was a white man, like we've talked about many times. But the divert, I I love like when we bring in all these different voices because like when she brought up the Tower of Babel, yeah, she said, yeah, uh, and how that was such a, the way that she was talking about it was a lens of diversity, all these different languages and all these different cultures and all these different people. And I think that's a really inter- interesting way to th- look and think about that because I need God to be more diverse than the small version of him that yeah. I grew up with that was just hammered into stone. And I think that someone like her, my favorite thing about her is that she brings like all this life and blood and flesh to the yeah. Old Testament. Yeah. And like you said, like Jesus didn't have, it wasn't like he was referencing Paul's letters. Right. You know, like he was, he was working with that thing that we struggle right. with so much and she gives it blood and flesh and makes it real and gives context to things. And yeah, I lo- I think that is so valuable. Yeah. And it's, and the other thing too is like you, you went to seminary. What's the percentage of the population of, Christians that went to seminary, <laughs> yeah, point one percent or something like. Oh so my goodness! A majority yeah. of people are working from a, a vantage point of not being able to, or being confused at how to wrestle with the text. And if, it, and if yeah. we're only growing up in churches where everything is so sanitized, and um, I don't know, she mentioned it in the other interview, like how Jews are not operating from, and it was in the original sin section mm. how they're not operating from a place of brokenness right um they just don't see themselves that way and i think that's right. really interesting because we are just hammered with how wretched we are and how much god hates day us one yes yeah. yeah and then i you know i was talking with my good friend about young life and stuff and how often young life is a bait and switch mm. ministry where you try to entice through excitement and then you're like at the last second you kind of pull a card out where you're like oh 
But guess what? We're going to talk about this Jesus character. Mm. And, you, you know, we try to entice, and, and there's, I love Young Life to Death, but there is an element of that. And she's, so much of what she talks about is just like a full embodiment of living with things, full embodiment of living with your faith and your understanding of things, and then wrestling with it within that full embodiment. And I really appreciate that. Yeah. That's a good way to say it, buddy. Yes. Yes. She makes me. And it was like my Jewish guide, and it's like some other scholars that I read, even though they don't acknowledge Jesus in whatever way you're supposed to, they make me want to know Jesus more, and they make me Absolutely. want to understand the text more. And and how could I argue with that for crying Can't, out loud? Or you shouldn't. Or if so, you are, you may have misinterpreted why that is important. <laughs> so anyway, that's that's the outro, baby. Um <laughs> Uh, I would recommend, so if if you're somebody who's like, oh, I, well, how do Jews read Isaiah 53, um, which is the suffering servant she referenced? How do Jews read the us in Genesis 1? Let us make humanity in our image, in our likeness, right? When, when Christians say, oh, that's a reference to the Trinity. How do Jews read that? Well, this is an interesting book. It's academic. I mean, it's not yeah. super academic, but it's academic enough that you'll you got to put some work in, but it will give you different perspectives on some of these key texts. And, um, and you know, for me, I'm always looking for, um, the, 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 the ways in which the text surprises us. Um, and I get, I get so much surprised through reading some of these, some of these things like, Oh yeah. my goodness! I never would have, I never would have thought of that. It's, it's exactly. Well, she talks about if the if the Bible is the same when you're five, when you're introduced to it in Sunday school, and at fifty, and it reads exactly the same, and you and nothing has grown or changed for you. You haven't learned anything. Then you're reading it incorrectly. You miss yep. a big piece. And I think that's right. That's been my journey, a hundred percent. Like the Bible is dramatically different than the thing that I grew up with. Yes. To me now, it's it's completely different. And I love that. And I love that God is bigger than yeah. um, John MacArthur's interpretation of him. <laughs> well, <know>? like, <laughs> Stafford's name and names right now. Hello. Yeah. Well, he was a predominant study Bible. Uh, yeah. That was a predominant voice te- telling us exactly how everything was. And um, I'm not a huge fan of his voice. So, personally... Um, but there's so much more to learn, and I think it's great. Yeah, I have so many huge questions just from this conversation. That yeah, um, yeah, yep, yep. Um, but they, but none of those take us, point us away from Jesus. That's the point. They point, they make me want to pursue this yes. more, and yes. um, and so I just absolutely love it. Uh, so anyway, if you have questions, you want to talk about this more, man, let us know. Uh, we got a great question from my friend Kristen on Facebook about, well, if what Gomba said is true about capitalism, then why should we give to a church? Boom. Oh, <laughs> snap. So we'll, we'll do an episode on that. That's fun. Yeah. That's fun. All right. Well, I'll tell you what, Timothy, let's call this an episode. This was fantastic. Um, and uh, and to our friends who are tuning in, thank you. 
I mean, we really, we really enjoy getting to do this and having conversations like this. So if it's a blessing to you, then awesome. We love it. Awesome. Awesome. All right, guys, till next time. Thank you for listening to this conversation. The Vox Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Vox Podcast. You can also engage with the hosts on social media at facebook.com backslash Vox Podcast, on Instagram at Vox Podcast, and on Twitter at Mike Erie. Thank you for walking this road with us.